Hello, and welcome to the Lakeshore Records podcast on Q With. For this episode, I had the enormous pleasure of speaking with the great Fabrice Lecompte, an incredibly gifted and versatile composer whose beautiful jazz-infused score and songs can be heard in Sylvie's Love. In our wide-ranging conversation, we discussed the crucial advice he received from the late, great Ennio Morricone, Fabrice's early days in Milan listening to music in old-school record booths, how he navigates the dichotomy between pop and art, pre-Michael Jackson Quincy Jones, John Coltrane's mesmerizing ballads, the lyricism of Dexter Gordon and Sonny Rollins, progressive jazz and Ornette Coleman, how Fabrice's compositions reflect the complex tonal shifts in Sylvie's love, Keith Jarrett's mind-blowing harmonic choices, the importance of listening to music with undivided attention, how great musicians bring out the soul of a composition, the great Johnny Mandel, and so much more. Sylvie's Love is out now, worldwide, via Lakeshore Records. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Fabrice as much as I did. Welcome, Fabrice. Um, congrats on all the amazing success of Sylvie's Love. I have to say you've done an incredible job. It's an amazing score, amazing songs. What a movie. Congratulations. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast and, and congratulations to you and also for your, your career. And, and, you know, and it's so wonderful to be uh, interviewed and be able to have a dialogue with another fellow, great fellow composers. So, uh, you know, thank you. I'm looking so much forward to it. Thank you. Well, let's, I would love to start from uh, the early days. If you could just tell me a little bit about where you grew up and how you came to music. Absolutely. Well, I was born and raised in Milan, Italy. Uh, my father was a French uh, writer um, living in Milan. I married my mother, who is uh, from, from Milan. And uh, I have a younger sister, seven years younger than me, who is a writer as well, and who lives between Paris and, uh, and Italy. Um, so I grew up in a family uh, that loved to sit at the table for hours after dinner and discuss books and discuss music and discuss movies and have a lot of fun. And I remember my mother growing up in Milan told me, look, if you need money for something, we'll, we'll discuss what it's for before I give it to you. But remember, for books and records, you have a blank check. And uh, that was so nice of them. And I grew up, remember, as a kid, I am now uh, 61 years old, but I remember in in the late 60s, early 70s, going to the main store in Milan, and they used to have boots. And you used to uh, choose the records you wanted, and then uh, you would show show them to them, and then they would just play them one after the other one for you while you were in the booth. And then eventually you would buy the one you wanted, which was great. So I was going there regularly and coming home with lots of records. And my father was a big jazz fan. Hmm. Uh, And and my mother loved the great jazz singers, but uh, mostly it was was a lot of instrumental jazz that was being played at home. And I, I I had an uncle, unfortunately passed away recently, who was traveling very often for work to the United States and he was always bringing me home, another, another big jazz fan, and he was always bringing me home all these phenomenal jazz records at the time. And uh, so I grew up listening to anything from uh, uh, Coltrane, uh, 
let's say from Charlie Parker on, but I listened to a lot of Archie Shep, Cecil Taylor, uh, Anthony Braxton, uh, Eric Dolphy, because, uh, you know, at the time, uh, you know, in the end of the 50s, the beginning of the 60s, there was so much diverse music going on, so, so many different styles going on in jazz. It was unbelievable. You had progressive jazz, you had uh, exper experimenting with art meters with Dave Brubeck, and you had the classical kind of uh, almost Mozartian kind of jazz of the modern jazz quartet. And, and then you had the Ornette Coleman. I mean, this yeah. was such a wonderful time. Yeah. And I, I have to get back to you, uh, actually, on the Ornette Coleman. It's a funny story because, so I, my parents put me in school. I was going to regular school and uh, we were living in a place in Milan. It was an apartment that had a small little terrace. And just next to the terrace was an adjacent room separate from the rest of the apartment. And that one was the music room. Mm -hmm. And uh, so whenever we wanted, we'd go there. There was just a piano and, and, and a small bathroom and a gramophone, you know, at the time, <laughs> turntable. And, and all of these records. And I was spending basically all my time in that room. And I was trying to play by ear uh, all, of, all of the solos, you know, and, uh, and try to come up with something new to the point where my parents said, look, you got to continue your studies until you're 18. But if you want, we'll get you piano lessons. And I was, you know, five or something like that. I was tinkling around already with the piano. So they got me this, uh, this teacher, uh, this piano teacher, who was the first flutist at La Scala in Milan. Mm. But he, he has also a diploma in piano. So we started playing, you know, he started giving me lessons, piano lessons. And I was a terrible student because I never practiced. And I was instead spending hours telling him about jazz. <laughs> and, you know, and this, this was a wonderful man, very sensitive. He was writing poetry. He loved his classical music, which I love too. But he didn't know much about jazz. And he was so more interested to hear, you know, and the music I was playing for him. Well, Moral of the story, um, after he saw that I was interested in other instruments, he taught me how to play the flute. And then eventually, uh, one day, I was 14 years old. I said, look, you're going to come with me. Arnold Coleman is in Milan. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, who is he? And I was like, just come with me. Please trust me. So I go, you know, with this 63 years old bold man in jacket and tie to this uh, arena. And they were all, you know, the, the students with the long beard, you know, and, and all, you know, very much into that kind of music. And me and this guy, and then Ornette Coleman comes out all dressed in leather and he starts playing his electric violin. And, you know, this man freaked out. He loved it. Yeah. So I, he was hooked. Mm. You know, from that moment on, we were just, you know, we were playing jazz all the time. And then he eventually he told me that the highest point of his career was playing under Duke Ellington. One time that Duke Ellington played in La Scala. Mm. So jazz is infectious. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's interesting that you bring up Ornette Coleman because uh, my uncle actually introduced me to Ornette Coleman when I was younger. And I remember the very, very first time I... Hurt. I said, what is this? I don't even know what's happening. I don't, it's so free. It's free yeah. jazz, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and what's interesting about Ornette Coleman versus the character of, of Robert 
in in Sylvie's love yeah is is a very different approach to the same instrument right a very good point yeah yeah uh it, if it correct me if i'm wrong but but robert is much more refined he's still loose yes but it's, but it, how would you how would you characterize the difference there uh, it's it's a very good point and it's something that we had discussed since the beginning with eugene um, I, when I met Eugene, he had just finished writing the first draft of Sylvie's Love. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had since then a very clear idea of what he wanted, to the point that all of the needle drops that you see in the movie now were there since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were discussing Robert's character, and he told me, you know, uh, he has to be somewhat of a shy uh, fellow uh, with an amazing talent, but not only technical talent, also a vision of a different kind of music. Mm. But still, he has such a big soul that you have to hear the lyrical side of it. So Mm. definitely, you know, we couldn't play, have him play music like like the Frigis saxophone player of the time. And Eugene, um, whose main background actually in jazz is uh, vocal um, Mm. jazz singers, was telling me, you know, I would prefer somebody with a very recognizable sound, like, like could have been, for example, um, John Coltrane or Sonny Rollins or mm-hmm. Nexter Gordon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, he liked that lyrical aspect of this of these three tenor sax players. So the, the point is that, so you have uh, Dickie Brewster, the pianist, who is the leader of the band, and they have this horrible... Uh, re- a friendful kind of relationship with with each other. Um, they play together, and how do we differentiate the kind of jazz that Dickie wants to do and Robert wants to do? Because obviously the Countess prefers, and everybody else is supposed to prefer Robert, Robert's kind of playing, mm-hmm. you know, versus Dickie's kind of playing. So mm-hmm. when when uh, eventually we settled that I was to write the jazz compositions. Um, Eugene asked me, try to write the songs from uh, the pianist's perspective, which was mm-hmm. a very interesting, uh, you know, request. Mm-hmm. As you know, you know, you, you have different point of views, you know. So, mm-hmm. so I, I think that that's, that's really, uh, you're absolutely right. It could have gone in any way. I mean, it could have, you know, say, well, let's show how how revolutionary it was, you know. Mm-hmm. And instead, Eugene wanted to sort of downplay that. Uh, maybe because he wanted to focus on, on so much on the love that she has for him. So he had to be more accessible, I guess. On mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Earthbound, right? Yes. yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah he's so classy. The, the, all the music is very classy. It's cool. It's refined. It's still loose, entrancing. Uh, and I think of Be Love, the song Be Love really yeah. captures all of that. What was your approach to creating that song? Um, that's, uh, that's interesting because we had a couple of songs that I was considering um, for the, the main song, the main theme for the movie. And, uh, and the other one, which I liked a lot, um, was a little bit more more of the instrumental side. It would have been impossible to put lyrics to it. And mm-hmm. it was more of a big Michel Legrand, very, very uh, grandiose kind of uh, 
uh, of theme. And so even though he uh, asked me specifically to, to use a big orchestration with massive strings, mm-hmm. he decided to go with something more soulful. So eventually the idea of picking one of the jazz pieces as the starting point uh, mm-hmm. for everything else that goes on in the score um, it was was possibly the, probably the best solution. Um, mm-hmm. In 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 coming up with that theme, which actually came up fairly quickly, I was listening at the time to a lot of Coltrane's uh, uh, the, the softer Coltrane, you know, the the ballads. Yeah, and there were a couple that were, that had exactly that that feeling that I wanted, and I tried to come up with something in that style. compositions feel like the music of attraction and love that's what I hear I really hear this the tension and it's like the music is a character of its own that's patiently seducing each of the characters that's how I it felt to me oh, that's would, beautiful would you say that's accurate would yeah you... yeah yeah basically you know it's uh, you have you have so much music in this in this movie between the the, the quartet music and all of the needle drops Basically, you were left with music that had to sort of be a, a liaison to all of the others. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, 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 it didn't have to interfere with anything else, but sort of accompany the scenes. And if there was ever any need to amplify a little bit more the emotion or to steer you in the right direction, maybe, you know, with a sound that was different from all of the other sounds. Um, that's why when we discussed the orchestration, I told him, look, we got a lot of brass uh, in everywhere, so I don't want to use any brass in the orchestra. You want a lot of strings. We need uh, harp, piano. We need uh, not m- many percussionists. I think just, just some light, light percussion like glockenspiel and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know some celesta, some triangle, si- simple things just to to uh, show the, the, the journey that Robert is going through. In the beginning, everything is wonderful. You know, he meets her and, you know, he's this little... Actually, it's really funny because he's this little dorky character with the yeah. thick glasses and the pants up to his armpits, you know? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and then he develops as a character, even though he's still sensitive and introverted. And at the end, he's, even though he's working at the factory, he's self-assured and he has this beautiful smile. I mean, he's, he's studied that character really well, the development. And I wanted to do the same thing with the music and going from the bells and the, 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 the different kind of orchestration with all of this light percussion, everything is going well. Then 
after they meet again after five years and then the movie turns from that to basically a drama mm-hmm. and uh, there is more the, the, the story of of Michelle comes in as a major focus then at that point the orchestration changes too no more percussions you are more focused on the lower strings and the bassoons and it becomes darker and the darkest point is probably the breakup scene where you basically have a cello solo uh, string orchestra a piano playing a figure bass and that's it mm. and it's, it's almost classical at that point but you know that that's that's why when at the end, after all of this is done, you have the song that is almost like a, a ray of light. And it's supposed to be that way because it, from the montage, uh, after the end, the montage basically showing that everything is fine. They are living now together as a happy couple with Michelle and he's still playing and being very happy. And she's still the producer of her show. And, you know, so... I think I think it's it's a journey that it takes you by by hand, you know, and walks you through it musically to parallel what's going on 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 screen. And hopefully, I I managed to convey that. You absolutely, absolutely. I I have to say, you pulled it off magnificently. And the in me, one of the key scenes you you touched upon is, um, you know, I'm a father. I have two children, and as oh, I watch, thank you. And as I watch the movie, I can only imagine what it would feel like spoiler this is a spoiler um, <laughs> to, to know that you have you know a grown-up daughter a, a child a daughter yeah. Yeah. that is um and that scene was really incredible i'm curious if it was challenging for you because to capture the sound and all of the emotions of all of the characters and the audience experience you really nailed it of a father meeting his daughter for the first time was that challenging thank you i uh, I, by the way, I'm a father too of two children, yeah. even though I'm much older than you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm taking tomorrow my daughter back to Milan to uh, to um, uh, to college. Uh, so uh, it's, nice. uh, they are they are older, but uh, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, that's it's something that it was. How do you approach it? I mean, you know, either you can be very light and let the actors just take care of it. Mm-hmm. Or, or you try to uh, just, uh, there is the danger, of, the danger always of having too much of a heavy hand in this kind mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know, I just reacted to the scene and, uh, and it was so emotional, as you said, and, mm-hmm. you know, with the crying and, uh, and the fact that he meets her and he pushes the, the uh, he pushes her, you know, on the, on the swing, it's, on the swing. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was such a delicate thing, and then there is a segue into the Chinese restaurant, which is beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it, yeah, yeah, it was it was uh, it was something I think that it came natural. Did you have? I'm curious. Did you have any, let's say, misfires or any like when you first started writing and you know, I imagine you had a script or maybe you saw some scenes and yeah. did, you, did you write anything that you said? just didn't make it that you said, no, this is just not right. This is just not working. Yes. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the, I, when I met Eugene and he gave me the script, I, mm-hmm. I uh, read it very carefully. I made my comments to him mm-hmm. and uh, over the course of the years, because this is, took a long, quite a while, he mm-hmm. had another six revisions and I read mm-hmm. all of them. Wow. And then uh, eventually he decided to, 
in February of 2019, he was in Los Angeles and he said, I got to shoot this movie now because Tessa, that's the only time that Tessa has, has that is free mm -hmm. from all of her other engagements. So mm -hmm. they shot basically in one month. And then he called me up and he said, we need your music. <laughs> so I, I went there, I saw some of the rough cuts and I started writing music and uh, and then there was a lot of editing. And mm -hmm. as you know, you know, you start getting a rough idea, but you know, you can you cannot cut in the middle of an emotional arc mm -hmm. in the musical phrase because they decided to eliminate a certain amount of frames. So you have to redo it all over again, rethink it. And mm -hmm. also one thing that I'm sure you know very well is that uh, most movie directors fall in love with the temps yeah so sure. if there is a lot of music that they put in there because they want you to do something in that vein and then fall in love with it it's very difficult for you to sure. convince them that what you're doing is sure. you know gonna work unless yeah. they listen to that one also a hundred times yeah sure. Sure. you know it's really funny because sometimes it's like, no i think this other version is much better no no we like this one we're not used to this one yeah, yeah i've been you there know? many times yeah, i know Hey, you know, and another funny thing that I noticed that I never paid, paid attention to is that when you work with a, with a film editor and mm. they send you the clips and you send them back, uh, of course, when you, we work on the clip, we are used to listening to the music at a certain volume. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when you send it there and then you, they send it back to you, the music is always so low. Yeah. You know, yeah. the sound effects and the dialogue are high up, but you can hardly hear yeah. it. Sure. You know, every time it's like, if you think about it, to us, the music is more important to them. The other things are more important. So at the end, you're at their mercy, too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. At the dubbing stage, when, if they are there, you know, there is a lot of arguing about the levels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, it sounded great. Everything sounded great in the film. And, uh, you know, it was one, one other, other sort of dichotomy I noticed yeah. is between uh, Sylvie's love of, of television yeah. and Robert's love of jazz, it's a little bit like there's a tension between pop entertainment and art, right? Like the characters sort of, in a certain way, embody a difference. Um, did you, is this something that you, you had a tension with yourself in how pop versus how, uh, how commercial? should your music be for this film? Um, that's, that's a very intelligent question, and that's something we could talk about forever. Um, <laughs> I, I, am, I am mostly a classical music composer. I came uh -huh. here, I, 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 I love jazz, and I've performed it both in Italy and here when I first came to this country in the, in the, in the late 70s. Um, and then, you know, I studied at Manus College of Music, and uh, and I started as soon as I left Manus, I I got performed at Carnegie Recital Hall, and mm. then the following year, the uh, the American Symphony Orchestra performed a, a symphony piece of mine in Alice Daly Hall. So I had I had continued with my classical music, and even though when I was at Manus, I took what I believe is the first course ever that any of these conservatories. Uh, gave in film scoring and it, mm. and it was three years mm -hmm. um, in order to uh, uh, obtain the diploma in that and 
and um, perchance uh, I was uh, I was involved in the film score. I did my first film score in Rome with the Orchestra di Santa Cecilia. So I always work with large orchestras, mm-hmm. you know, since the beginning. And um, and then I taught for a while also film film music at, at an academy outside Turin. Mm. But but basically, I'm a classic music composer. So um, ar- arriving at a point where you have to make, you know, when you write classical music, it's there. You just want to basically uh, you want to take risks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that's you, and then ultimately you are the one who's risking everything on what you write. When you're sure. writing for a movie, you cannot risk for everybody else, and mm-hmm. also the audience is a totally different other audience. So because eventually because of the time constraint, but also because of all these things, you may uh, take certain decision that may be uh, more or less popular Mm -hmm. uh, versus the other kind of music. I must say that a person that to me was of an incredible help was my wife, Mm. who, who, who is not a musician, but who loves music. Mm. And um, in going over the scenes, sometimes I, I wrote something that was uh, maybe a little bit too complicated for that scene. And she, mm-hmm. would, and she would tell me, I think it's beautiful, but I think you have, to, you have to just look at it from a different perspective, maybe tone it down a little bit. It's a great solution, but you know, it, it, you know that, that, that's great to get feedback from somebody who's not a musician for these kind of things, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I and, always, uh, I always ask my wife for everything. I, I joke that uh, that uh, I'm actually the muse, and she's the artist. She's the one. Who, <laughs> she, that's she's beautiful. The, yeah, she's the one who actually gets the art going. Um, <laughs> that's but, yeah, No, it's it's a it's a hard thing, right? To to create something that is is listenable, but also serves so many purposes and, and covers the the narrative arcs of the characters in I think this I just imagine this would have been such a challenge because you have the live music you're balancing the sound of the live music yeah with this character with the tension of another character and there's the music that's acting like a siren between them sort of and <laughs> and, then, and then you have the score that is for us right the audience yeah. right it's how did you balance all of this with the period music, right? How are you able to make sure have, that nothing, nothing steps on anything and, you know, find that harmony? How did you do it? I was lucky enough to, to have wonderful musicians. <laughs> 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 they were, you know, I was lucky, first of all, to find producers that wanted to bet on me mm-hmm. and, uh, and allow me to, uh, to have at my disposal such a wonderful Palette, big palette of sounds. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it. It was basically a low-budget movie, but mm-hmm. uh, because Eugene insisted that music, he told me, bear in mind that music is uh, one of the main actors. Is yeah. should be up there with uh, with uh, Tessa and with Namdi. Um, mm-hmm. It's not going to be a musical, but almost. Yeah, and um, so. Uh, you know, they invested a lot of money in getting, uh, when we recorded the music in California, members of the LA Philharmonic and the LA Chambers players 
And here in New York, when we recorded the, the song, apart from Cecile, who's amazing, they, they got members of the New York Philharmonic and, and of the Met Opera. Um, the jazz cast, the jazz group was stellar. Mm-hmm. With uh, with Mark Turner and Yuri Kane, Ben Porofsky and Matt Penman, so I was really lucky to you know I was writing music and I was hearing it performed so well by these people. They they brought out maybe you know it's just like it's it's a collaboration. They brought out they got exactly what we wanted and they brought out the soul, which was was a beautiful thing to see happen. And what was your actual approach to building the tracks? Was it in recording? Was it get them all together in a room? Uh, you know, this was pre-pandemic, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So, it was in November, the beginning of November of 2019. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took us one day of recording. Uh, we, we recorded everything one day, everybody in one room. And uh, we were at um, uh, Sony Studios in Culver City. Mm-hmm. And Susie Karayama was a great conductor. She she conducted them. I preferred to be in the in the control room with Joel Iwataki, the, the, the engineer. And uh, she, she did a good job and we recorded, I, I mean, I prefer to record everybody together because <laughs> you get the vibes off of each other and uh, versus doing the sections. And yeah. they actually are so good. They didn't have to take that many takes. And we went right, we just went through the first, the larger ensemble and then the smaller ones. And there were just only a couple of overdubs and that's it. Um, and then once we were done with that, I arrived in New York, back in New York, and they decided that they wanted me to write, producer decided they wanted me to write a new um, arrangement, orchestral arrangement for the song. So I had less than a couple of weeks. And uh, so I put together the new arrangement and Cecile wrote the lyrics and, and we based it on, on Beloved once again. And we recorded it. Um, that one we recorded actually in two in two days. The first day, we went to Astoria to uh, uh, the Samurai Hotel studio, and we recorded just her, her pianist, her bass player, and her drummer. Mm. And and the, and the day after at the Dimena Center, we recorded the the orchestra and we mm. the, the sweetening with the orchestra, but. I had already done the entire arrangement. I had written down everything already. So it was not a matter of working, doing the arrangement on top of what she had done, you know, as a, as a fresh thing. I had it already all written down, written out and the way I wanted it. What about this, the uh, solos? Are they improvised uh, by the musicians? The, the, so, the jazz solos are all improvised, yes. And uh, Eugene wanted to get that fresh feeling of... Um, of uh, jazz of that period. And uh, as you know, at the time they were just going to the studio and they were take, doing just a couple of takes and that, that was it. Even if there was some flaw here and there, it was sure. just part of, part, of, part of the, you know, the great performance. Mm-hmm. So, that, you know, he wanted us to have an, an, ima- an imaginary record and, mm-hmm. and of the group and that uh, you know the, out of the fictitious album they would just perform these, these individual tracks I see and when you sit down to write yeah what is what is your songwriting process are you sitting at a piano are you do you have pen and paper what is the actual methodology that you go about it generally speaking 
um, I, I, I don't write with a computer. I write with pen and paper, everything. And I do all of my arrangements, the orchestral arrangements, uh, orchestrations and everything uh, myself. I remember meeting many years ago, Ennio Morricone, and he told me, look, you know, you got to do that yourself because that's part of the composition process. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, it also depends of, you know, how much time you have. And that's, you know, I, you know, but, um, but if you can, that, that to me, I mean, it, it was, I was lucky that I, I got a chance to do it. But the, the process basically is, um, I, I write a lot of things. I wake up, for example, I have the early hours in the morning that to me, a lot of things come when I'm in bed and I have a mm. little notebook right next to me. So I start writing ideas and then later on I'll try them at the piano mm. uh, I used to compose a lot of things at the piano before now it depends of what kind of music I'm composing mm. if there if it's really piano heavy and if it's jazz I, I tend to compose at the piano uh, the orchestral music uh, a lot of the time I'll just do it at my desk uh, or sometimes on the airplane. It's bizarre. Some of the best thing I wrote were on the airplane. <laughs> yeah, no, I guess. So, and then, so do you hear, you, you actually hear it? Yeah. You hear melody. You it, hear the it, melody and you hear a sound that you want and then you try to concentrate and hear, hear it better and hear it orchestrally. Mm -hmm. And then uh, once you have a clear idea of that, then you look at it formally and, and you see if it makes sense with the other instruments and the balance and one thing and the other, the variety, and then, you know, all of the, the, the different, you know, uh, levels. And if you want that to be a fuller sound or less or, or, or not full sound. And when, and when you hear a melody, are we talking about a, a short theme, a phrase, or are we talking about, you know, a fuller picture? Generally, uh, generally speaking, it's just a phrase. And then, from that phrase, you sort of build the song. Mm -hmm. But other times, like with Beloved, actually it came pretty much as, as a whole thing. I mean, there were a few changes, but that mm -hmm. came out, I don't know why, but that came much, much, much easier than, uh, than other songs. Yeah, this to uh, me is the, is the bread and butter of the, of the creation of art. That, that exact moment that it, it comes to you and you translate it to, you manifest it into the world is like, I can never quite distill it and explain it and it doesn't happen to me that often i know a lot of composers like yourself i know many who always hear things i actually have to sit at a piano usually and it almost comes out of my hands right more well, than hearing it what's the most important thing is the is the end results yeah so, sure. you <laughs> know well you know they, everybody does things in a different way but if the end result is good who cares right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, you know, I remember something that is, needs to be touched also in our discussion, I think, yeah. is the, the great Johnny Mandel, uh, mm -hmm. whom mm -hmm. I revere, uh, mm -hmm. once said, uh, I got out of uh, the film scoring business because I was sick and tired of having to do a computer rendition of my composition for the producers. <laughs> and uh, you know, he said it used to be that they they got me to write the score. I played the melody on the piano, and then you know it was up to me. And now every single note that I'm writing, I have to justify it, and I have to replicate it at 
best as I can on the computer and spend a lot of time when there is very little already to start with. Sure. I mean, it all makes sense, but I think we all are in this, in this predicament right now. Yeah. And, I, I and, have to say it was very refreshing to see a movie like this that sort of uh, cuts through that process in a, in a very unique way in that it's so authentic. I mean, it really feels like it was, it is of the time and could have been made at the time. Thank you. I, I tried to study very much the orchestrations of the time and the, and uh, the harmonic, uh, uh, the, the harmonies that they were used the most in that period. And, and also, I, since I wrote also the music for the, the Lucy Wolper show, the cooking show, mm -hmm. I had to try to get that peppy sound out of the orchestra yeah. and make it sound like it was real and it was at the same time. So there was some research, you know, that I had to do, but it was a lot of fun. And, and I always loved the, the music from that period. Uh, so it, it was it was a joy for me to just 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 delve right into it. So but, now you have you have uh, I'm conscious of the time and and you have um, so many different influences generally speaking, but also that you showcase in this movie. I know this is a tricky question, but yeah. can you can you distill it to your top three? If you had to pick your top three musical influences, okay. Uh, wow. Um, or who comes to mind? Or what songs, or artists, or composers, or, or scores, or uh, albums do you think? I know you mentioned Ornette Coleman early on. Yeah, but you know, I, I am a I am a huge, huge, huge fan of uh, Keith Jarrett all my mm. life, and mm. uh, I mean, just um, harmonically and melodically, technically, he's phrasing. He's so inspiring and his incredible harmonic treatments of everything, his rearrangements also of, of uh, somewhere over the rainbow. Or, or, I mean, he's it, it's, it's really mind-boggling to me and I, I couldn't really pinpoint anything in particular. But another big fan, I'm a big fan also of Quincy Jones, but not the Quincy Jones from Michael Jackson on. The Quincy Jones from the early 60s. Yeah. Um, his album, Quincy Jones plays the music of Harry Mancini is, yeah, is yeah, yeah. unbelievable. Sure. And then, and then the subsequent albums, uh, Gula Matari, Walking in Space, Smackwater Jack, mm -hmm. You've Got It, Bad Girl. I mean, unbelievable yeah. orchestral writing and completely yeah. new and, and, and not too many of the young folks know what he did before, before Michael Jackson. And yeah, uh, and and uh, and also his film scores. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's really funny because of all of them, my favorite is the Deadly Affair, mm. and uh, and I love the music. It's unbelievable. Uh, the only thing is that I never understood. I I, I mean, Sidney Lumet is is one of my favorite movie director, and uh, the movie is I don't think is one of his best. But you know, <laughs> the funny thing is that the music. If I, I, the other day I saw it with my wife and it was like, the, the music has nothing to do with this movie. <laughs> you know, and it was really funny because it's the Bossa Nova. This guy is a very sad story. He's killing his, his, you know, his wife or something. You know, it, it's such a sad story and you've got this beautiful Bossa Nova. You know, and, 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 but the music is great. And, you know, it's just like, yeah. Anyway, 
Well, I'll but, check that out. I'm actually not familiar with that score, but I will check it out. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I have two, two more questions for you yes. before we wrap up. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for young composers that you would give to someone maybe just starting out or considering a career or just looking, looking to make moves in creating music in the, in the way that you do? Uh, well, uh, I hope that uh, you know that what I say is is something that is going to stimulate them. I just I just think that people should listen to as many different styles of music as possible, mm-hmm. uh, and from everywhere in the world because mm-hmm. there is so much to learn from all of these different cultures, and to try not to compartmentalize and to try to keep your ears open, mm-hmm. and and not to be afraid of new music. Because the problem is that a lot of people will listen to music that they are already familiar with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when they listen to it, they just listen to it when they are doing something else. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. I mean, there is some music that you might do that, but maybe later on. But first, just listen to what they are trying to say and what the, the musicians are trying to do. That, that's a very good point. That, that I will take personally, yeah. thank you, because <laughs> I, I, you know, multitasking is like, everyone's multitasking so much these days, it's a bit yeah. of a shame, but I, I do often listen to new music while multitasking, and yeah. it's not getting my undivided attention, and I had not thought about that, and that is something it deserves. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you are submerged with music to listen to also. Yeah. So I understand why you do that. But, yeah. you know, some you may not like and that and that's probably you're giving it even more attention than you should. <laughs> yeah. You know, but but as a general tendency, I see a lot of people, for example, the 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 classical music crowds here in New York City, they go for the wrong reason to listen to the concerts, either because they have corporate accounts, uh, you know, and they have to take their mother-in-law you know, out uh, or something like that. But, you know, generally people will go and will want to hear the same thing, the same composer, the same pieces of music, because it comforts them to know that they could sing the main melody on the way there. Mm. And uh, and it, on one side, we've got composers that are becoming way too technical and way too cerebral and they are responsible for having alienated generations of of new listeners but on the other hand i think both approaches are wrong i think that people should be more curious and and to try to make an effort to because then you are paid many folds you are paid many folds when you find something a new piece of music that you really like and opens a, a, a new, total new perspective to you I think, oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's, you know, I, I often joke that, you know, it's crazy that, you know, we just stream music these days. Uh, you don't even pay a dollar for your favorite song. You pay yeah. more for coffee than you do for something that will touch you and give you so much. I know that's I, terrible. It's that's crazy. Terrible. It's a crazy, yeah. crazy situation. We're working and, on it. And two other things. One other one is uh, for young musicians, play with as many instruments as you can. Don't mm. just stick to just one mm. because uh, you'll never know just by, uh, you know, playing a different instruments and having to use a different technique. It, you might surprise yourself with finding new, new approaches to, 
to music that you had never thought of by using the other instrument. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the last thing is, let's help all these orchestras that are dying. I mean, live music is very important, but it's very important also, you know, with, with large orchestras. Now, these, all of these synthesizers and, and, you know, and emulators and, and you know, they, they are good for certain things, but let's not forget the orchestras. Yeah, no, the orchestra is forever, I think. Is yeah. Forever. yeah. Um, okay, last question. Yeah. Uh, if you die yeah. and you wake up in, in purgatory, yeah. you're asked to play one song before your fate is determined. What, what do you play? To play to whom? <laughs> you, can, yeah, you answer it however you want to answer it. I'll let you take the rest. You, you uh, can, it's a thought experiment. I'll let you answer however you want. Uh, Richard Strauss four last songs uh, anything That's, that sounds good to me anything anything you want to play um, uh, it's, it's a very it's a very difficult question uh, I, 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 I think uh, probably that one probably yeah, uh, that's a good one that's yeah, a good yeah. one it's, so, it's celestial enough I guess <laughs> yeah and I think that gets you straight to heaven right <laughs> <Hope. laughs> yeah. um, well thank you thank you so much Fabrice for your time congratulations again on just an amazing film and great score and the songs I mean really just well done Alan th I enjoyed this tremendously and I hope we can do it again soon and let's be in touch and happy new year have a happy and safe one you and your family same to you thank you so much I'm going to take care off. thank you yeah, d'une chanson j'ai voulu la garder tout près de moi attendant ton retour mais le temps est venu me dérouler ton Je tâtonne, je cherche, je chuchote ainsi un homme au souvenir. Parfois je crois t'apercevoir au détour d'un. J'entends au loin notre chanson qui s'enfuit au réveil. J'envoie comme une lettre cette mélodie. Un jour tu la recevras et tu reviendras. Ici, près de moi, de paix.